This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. A good nerve Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM 101.9, and I'm delighted to be with you on this Erev Shabbos where we are in the month of Kislev, the month of light, where we are reading the most exciting, exciting parshas, sections of the Torah, which are really not only history of the world, but it's our story. And not only is it our story in the past, it's our story, our guide for right now. Amazing. As the Parsha comes to life, instructing us for the here and now. And so before we even begin the Parsha, I want to share something with you, which is in the special book called Hayom Yom. The Hayom Yom, as you might know, is a book that was compiled by the Rebbe in 1943 for the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus, which is the 19th day of Kislev. And he didn't just do a calendar with what one does on the day, but he drew from the teachings of his Rebbe, his father-in-law, and gave teaching, Hasidic insight, stories for each and every day. And as it was then, it is relevant now, but we see that it's more relevant than ever before. It was actually not 43, but 42. But the Jewish year was 5703. And next week, it actually matches the Parsha of that year. But the Hayom Yom for today, the Hayom Yom for the eighth day of Kislev, is inspiring and ties in with the Parsha as well. So the Hayom Yom for today, the section that he chose to share from the teachings of his father-in-law is as follows. He says, when a person thinks and thinks deeply into the great kindness of the Creator, in that the tiniest of insignificant beings man, can bring satisfaction to the most elevated, the most eminent of the great, God himself, about whom it says, his greatness cannot be fathomed. No matter how much you go into the greatness of the creator, we can't begin to fathom. We can't begin to understand, to reach his greatness. And yet, the great kindness that he did with us, that we, these tiny, tiny, insignificant beings, transient beings, can bring him delight. Well, that should cause us to always be thrilled, high-spirited, full of joy. And that Man should carry out his divine service with an eager heart, with an eager spirit. What a hayom yom for today. We are in the month when the Jewish people fought 
one of the most ferocious wars, the few against the many, the weak against the mighty. At the time of Hanukkah, the Assyrian Greeks were a formidable army. However, who won? It was those who were connected to Hashem, those who were connected to the divine being who runs the world, who empowers all the powerful, who empowers those who are connected to him. And the great kindness that Hashem has done for us is that he chose us to serve him. How do we serve him? Every single mitzvah, a mitzvah from the word connection, is an opportunity to overcome, to transcend our mundane reality. It's a chance to relate to the creator in his infinity because these mitzvahs, as much as they seem to be mundane activities, they are anything but. They are a great combination of spiritual clothed in physical. And if we just try and realize and even achieve some sort of awareness at this incredible privilege that we have, that we can give him nachas. That is a very important stepping stone that will at least give us something of an experience of love for Hashem. He is so great. We are so small. But there is a way on a regular, ongoing basis that we can bring him delight. And the Parsha this week is a Parsha called Vayetze, and he went out. Jacob, Yaakov, is going out from the land of Canaan, and he's going to Choron, to Aram. It's the seventh section of the book of Breshit. There are 12 sections, 12 parshiot in Breshit. The first six have to do with creation of the world, Noah and the flood, Abraham and Isaac. The next six are all connected to the patriarch Jacob. The Parsha this week, he leaves Canaan. He goes to find a wife. He gets married. He, in fact, marries four wives. There, in that place, he fathers a large family. He also becomes fabulously wealthy, all with the help of Hashem. And then at the end of the Parsha, he secretly runs away because he's afraid that the possessive, conniving Laban, love on his father-in-law, is going to try and stop him from leaving. But then Laban, love on, chases after him, overtakes him, and they make peace. We'll be right back after this. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipska. So here we are. Entering the seventh section and the second half of the book of Breshit. But it's one story. It began with creation. Everything is focused on the goal of creation. The goal of creation, 
that God have a home in this world together with us. This world meaning the natural world, the way we know it. Can you imagine that synthesis between the heights, the infinity of spirituality, and extreme, dense physicality, this material world? And the parsha is called Vayetze. Vayetze, Vayetze means, and he went out. Who went out? Jacob went out. But the message is, Jacob is a man of study, a scholarly man, a man of sincerity, a man of holiness. And he loves to be in the Holy Land, in the walls of the yeshiva, immersed in God's Torah. Yaakov leaves his comfort zone. He must go out of himself or his natural characteristics, his natural inborn traits, because there's a mission to be accomplished. He needs to go to Haran to transform it. And every step of the Parsha is a lesson to us. Because let's remember, anything that happened to the patriarchs and the matriarchs is a lesson and an empowerment for the children. Only three are called fathers. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What's a father? A father bequeaths, bequeaths to his son in his DNA himself. He gives himself a portion of himself into his son, which his son carries with him as part of himself, although he is his own person. Only three are called fathers. They are our fathers. Only four are called mothers. They are our mothers. Parents not only raise and train and mold and educate and love and care for, protect and uplift their children. The child is a part of the parents. We have their spirit, their fortitude, their self-sacrifice, their sincerity, their purity, their focus in potential. And so let's examine some of the things that happen to Yaakov, to Jacob along the way, how he responds to them, and what is the inner meaning and the lesson to us. So Yaakov sets out, but he doesn't go immediately to Haran. He's been told to go and get a wife from the family. But for 14 years, he does a detour, and he goes to study in the yeshiva of shame and aver. Shame, son of Noach. Aver, the grandson. However, those 14 years become the first step. He goes there to fortify, clarify, and surround himself and imbibe the strong lessons that are needed in order to be able to successfully carry out his mission in Choron. Our lesson, prepare. Know who you are. 
before you go out into the world, before you pass opinions, before you decide. Know who you are. Don't think I'm somebody because I'm somebody's child or somebody's student or I live in a certain country or I live in a certain community. Who am I? Let me study. Let me introspect. Let me cloister myself so that I can deeply introspect, not because other people have told me and I'm being influenced by the environment. That's the only way to face life. So Yaakov spends 14 years in preparation, and then Vayetze. Only then does he leave. And what happens then? The next thing we hear is he prays at a certain place. Prayer. Before now, he's going on to Horon. He's now stepped out of the yeshiva. It's not enough that you have a big mind, that you have an opinion, that you have an informed opinion. Pray. Connect. Know that you'll never be alone. Know that you are connected to the absolute one. Prayer. Say the Shema Yisrael. What do the words Shema Yisrael mean? There are inner meanings. Shema Yisrael. A Yisrael, a child of Jacob. Shema. Deeply hears and understands. Hashem Elokeinu. Transcendent God is our power, is our imminent God. It's a power that we can access. Hashem Echad. God is one. There is nothing in this world, nothing we'll ever encounter, be challenged with, nothing we'll ever chance upon or that can happen to us, which is not Echad coming from God, part of God. And what is our reaction? Our reaction has to be Baruch, shame, Kavoid. It has to be not only to bless the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever, but the word Baruch is from the word Berach, knee, just as a knee, when it bends, draws down the entire body, even the head. Our job is to draw down godliness into every activity to draw down the revelation of the spiritual shame. Shame is a name that the outside world needs in order to identify me. We need to draw godliness down so it's revealed for the outside. Kvoid, the glory. We need to do it in a way which brings honor and a kiddush Hashem to the one above who creates life, who loves life, to whom everything in this world is his creature and who expects us to interact correctly. So draw down the revelation into the mundane. Make it clear. Do it with a kiddush Hashem. Let God's glory shine out. Malchusoi, 
his kingdom, which means that he is in charge. Le'olam, not only forever and ever, but to the hidden, to the world. Let everyone see. Va'ed is another manifestation of Echad, the unity of God. We have to pray. We have to focus. We have to remember. Every day we'll have challenges, personal challenges, communal challenges, challenges to those around us that are brought to our attention so that we can help. Challenges in the country, challenges in the Holy Land, challenges in the world. We start our day. We pray. Before going out on his mission, Yaakov prayed. And only then was he able to go with confidence. And next we find that Vayisa Yaakov Raglov Vayelech Artsovene Kedem. Jacob lifted up his feet and he went to the land of the people who live in the east. What f- is the special message in here? Even though he was about to enter such a dangerous place, a spiritually dangerous place, an environment that could destroy who he was, that would challenge his values and principles. His feet lifted up his, lifted him up. And Rashi says, when he prayed and God responded, I will look after you. You do your part. I'll do my part. He was so filled with joy and confidence that his heart lifted his feet. His joy made it easy for him to walk, to go, even though he knew he was entering the lion's den, as it were, a place totally antithetical to what he believed in, what he lived for. He knew God would protect him. He had prayed. He would stay connected, and on that connection... God's blessings would flow. And that trust that God would protect him just permeated his entire being all the way down to his feet. And the lesson for us, what are we doing? Yes, life can be so full of mundane tasks, tedious, repeat the same things every day. Got to get up, got to see to my body, Got to see to my soul. Got to go into the workplace. Got to tackle all kinds of things. If I'm a mother, busy with the children again and again, they don't just grow up. I'm a wife. I run a home. I'm a man. I have to provide. But it's again and again, day after day, day after day, where in order to sift the spirituality out of the physical, It's hard work. But if we are God-serving, if we are connected to Echad the One, if in whatever comes our way, we know God is there, and even though these mundane activities may not seem spiritual to us, the key is to make sure beforehand that just like Yaakov We have to be properly nourished. We have to be properly clothed and properly focused on our goal.
What does it mean to be nourished? Well, when Yaakov got up from his dream, the dream of the ladder, he knew what he had to do. Hashem had appeared to him. And he said to Hashem, I vow that if you'll be with me and you'll protect me on this journey that I'm undertaking and you'll give me bread to eat and clothing to wear and you'll bring me back to my father's house unharmed, untainted, I will consecrate this place. I'll make it the house of God, the Beit HaMikdash. Hasidic teaching explains, what is Yaakov asking for? He wants bread to eat? No. Clothing to wear? Doesn't sound like Jacob. He was saying, the Torah that we study, that is compared to food. Because we take God's wisdom in and it becomes part of us. And when we do mitzvahs, we become surrounded. We draw down. We are clothed, as it were, in this external, uplifting, transcendent feeling of inspiration. We light those candles. There's a holiness that surrounds us and makes us feel like nothing else. When Tfilner put on, there's something beyond mundane, although they are leather straps. The lights of the Shabbos candles, it's just a candle. No, it's a holy candle and it's a mitzvah. And when we take physical things and we perform mitzvahs with those physical things, whether it be with our money or our smile or our consideration of the other, all these things of love or all these specific mitzvahs, we get a feeling a great, great feeling, which is like a garment that warms us, protects us, surrounds us. And Yaakov was saying, despite the fact that I'm going into that evil place, if you will give me bread to eat, if you will give me garments to wear and return me untainted to my father's house, keep me whole, help me remember that this is only temporary the mundane world, we're only in it in order to refine it, to elevate it to holiness. I'm not staying here. I'm looking toward my father's home, which, of course, is the time of the Mashiach. And once Hashem had promised him, and once Yaakov was clear, his feet lifted up. It was his heart that was lifting his feet, and it became easy to go. Because when you're God-serving, you're going for an old, a great mission, you remain connected to the unity of God and the infinity of God, and you are empowered from a much higher source. Of course, as we think now of the soldiers in Israel and around the world who are in danger, we know that being connected to the source of life and the source of power is the only way that ensures success. And the Parsha goes on and Yaakov gets married and then we have an incredible insight 
there in Choron. So much had to be done. One of the things that we have to do in exile, which is what Choron is about, is to take our negative traits and not just ignore them, but to transform them. For example, we have a trait, a human weakness called jealousy. So what can be good about jealousy? Jealousy is negative. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not want what is your neighbor's. But jealousy has a proper part. You see, in God's creation, everything has a good side. So if he created jealousy, it has to have a hidden good. And when we use it with focus, God-serving, not self-serving, it is elevated. We have to be careful. We have to be focused. We can't allow the eye to creep in. And where do we learn about the proper use of jealousy or the proper activity of jealousy? We find in the Parsha that when Rachel, Rachel, saw that she had not conceived, she had not borne any sons to Jacob, she was jealous of her sister Leah. But our commentaries tell us she wasn't jealous of her like we get jealous. Basically, she felt that her sister was more righteous and therefore more deserving. We're not talking about destructive, petty jealousy where we're afraid that the other person will outshine us or their success will lessen our own self-worth. Rachel attributed Leah's fertility to her righteousness. She was jealous of her sister's good deeds. That's constructive jealousy because it inspires us to improve ourselves. Again, if you're jealous of someone else's Torah study and it spurs you on to want to learn more, you want to increase your own wisdom. So jealousy can be a positive force in our lives when we apply it correctly. And these human feelings, which are passionate, are very important in order to make this world a dwelling place for God. It's not about being parav. It's about being passionate about everything that we do. Put your all into it. But be connected. Do it for God. And make sure that everything you're doing along the way is pleasing to Him. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And we're talking about the Parsha, which is Vayetze. And Jacob goes into exile foretelling and blazing a trail and creating precedents for his children who would ultimately spend thousands of years in exile to complete what he had started. And the questions are, how do we stay focused? How do we stay optimistic? How do we stay trusting when things don't go right? And that's actually... The rule, things keep changing. Nothing stays the same. In terms of the positive, we've got to know that whatever blessings we have, they may not, God forbid, be there tomorrow. 
and we've got to joyously embrace and nurture and be grateful for everyone. And also the negative won't be there forever. But it is for us to interact with, with each and everything that God brings our way. So another beautiful thing that the Parsha teaches us. Finally, Rachel, Rachel, had a son. And she named him Joseph, Yosef, which in Hebrew means, may he add. And she said, may God add another son for me. For she knew that the patriarchs, that, that her husband, the patriarch Jacob, was destined to have 12 sons. And there was only one more left to be born. And she prayed that God make that 12th son, who would be Benjamin Benjamin, come from her. But when she named her son Joseph, she actually summed up Joseph's spiritual mission in life. And basically, that was to turn an acher into a bane, to turn a seeming stranger, someone who's acher, who's an other one, into a bane, into a son. That essentially, this is the job of each and every Jew. And it works in three ways. And we're talking about transforming, revealing the godliness in this world to make it a comfortable home for Hashem. Number one, if we look at the world, it seems to be anything but godly. It seems to be dense, thick, cruel, dark. Sometimes there are lovely things, but they don't seem to last. The world seems to be separate from Hashem. But the first is to make the world acknowledge that it is being created right now by Hashem. To make the world celebrate its divine source. So we don't look at the world as powerful, daunting, scary. We look at it as godly. And our job is to transform the world, to interact with the world in a way that the world which seems separate from God begins to acknowledge and celebrate that it is an ongoing creation of the Creator, Hashem Himself. Secondly, so if the world seems to be acher, other, we turn it back into a bane, into a son. And don't forget, that word bane is from the word to build. It is part of what God is building. Secondly, ourselves. We aren't perfect. We've got to constantly reevaluate our behavior, our thoughts, our actions. We call it personal change or personal repentance. We've got to change ourselves, the way we think, the way we behave, from being another into being a son, from being separate to being someone who belongs, constantly reevaluating, who am I? Am I on the right track? And thirdly, 
on our journey through Gaulus, through exile, through the diaspora, to reach out to those who seem to be estranged, far from Hashem, and revealing to them that they are God's precious children. And for them, it's only natural to be living according to God's plan, the way he made them, the way he made us. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe, this was such a focus of his, and he said to us, feel reassured. Don't feel inadequate. Don't feel incapable. You will be able to affect the world, to change yourself, and to change others. Because we're not doing this on our own. Look at how Rachel named her son. She said, may God add for me another son. We're just being placed there and empowered and our eyes opened by Hashem. We are his instruments. It's really he who lovingly reveals, elevates, and welcomes his estranged children back home. And what a privilege to be working with him and to be giving him this incredible, incredible pleasure and nachas. So our work is Yosef work, adding, making from an acher, someone who's estranged, making them into a ben, making them into a loyal, devoted child, son, connected builder in this world. And then the Parsha takes us to the fact that Jacob became exceedingly, exceedingly wealthy. And besides becoming materially wealthy, of course, everything in the Torah has a spiritual meaning. What was his spiritual wealth? What is the greatest wealth that one can have in the world? The greatest wealth are our offspring, our children, our biological children, our spiritual children, for they remain after us, carrying on the things we believe in, our values, and our hopes and dreams for the future. Abraham and Isaac were great people, but Jacob synthesized the approaches of the two. Abraham was inspiration. Isaac was discipline, self-discipline. Chesed and Gvura. Yaakov was called Ishtom. He was the sincere one. He wasn't limited by logic and reason. His simple sincerity was what he was all about. And with that, he was able to outwit the scheming, crafty father-in-law Lavan. Of course, logic has its place. But the real foundation of our relationship with Hashem is simple sincerity. God is beyond any logic we can fathom. And to bring him nachas, our simple sincerity, the midah, the attribute of Jacob, emes, truth. He was Tom, ish Tom, a sincere, wholehearted man. And you know, with that simple sincerity, we can relate to anyone. People who are very different to us, no matter who they might be. And that's why Jacob was successful 
that despite the fact that he had all these different children, and they were very different, all of them carried on his belief. All of them became links in the chain to make this world a dwelling place for God, unlike Abraham, who had a Yishmael, unlike Isaac, who had an Esau, an Esau. Yaakov mitosoy shlema. Despite the fact that he raised his children in an immoral society, he related to each one. They were different. They looked different. They sounded different. And then he began to long for home. Well, actually, he longed all the time to go home. But when Joseph was born, it was time to go home. And yet... Lavan tried to make every excuse to keep him there, and eventually he runs away. His longing for home, as Lavan says to him, I know you were yearning to go home. But everything that happened there foretells our own journey in exile. We are the Yaakov. Not only Throughout our wanderings have we been in a physically far home and perhaps immersed in an environment which is totally, totally against spirituality. But it's not just being physically far. It's also being challenged spiritually all the time. We're so often in environments that out and out oppose spirituality. And what is our job here? Our job is to live in the darkness, in the spiritual darkness of a world yet unredeemed. Yes, very often there's physical suffering. Very often there's physical restriction. But the lesson we have to take from this is that just as Jacob never got completely comfortable away from home. He was in exile, and he knew it. Even though he was raising a family, he was growing wealthy, spiritually wealthy as well. Because in exile is where you can amass the greatest fortune to give the greatest naches to Hashem. Not when you're comfortable, cloistered, and not in the world. But when we're in the spiritual darkness, and we bring light there. And we never become comfortable in our place of exile. And we constantly yearn to go back to our father's house. Sometimes we're more successful than others. Sometimes, if we look at what was happening in Jacob's life, he was getting married, he had all these children, and working day and night to serve his father-in-law. And God was making him richer and richer but he never got comfortable. No matter what success we might have in attaining goals, we have a bigger goal that lies ahead. We must know that we're in exile for a mission, and we must never feel at home. I have arrived. This is good. And of course, when we consider how long this exile has been, how much yearning there has been throughout the ages for the Mashiach, how many people and communities have suffered, have been decimated. We might mistakenly feel 
that with all the yearning and longing, it's no use. All this hope, this animamin, has not borne any fruit. So again, the Rebbe puts an interesting angle on it. He says, the more we realize the significance of our spiritual exile, that we're here to do a job, the more we devote ourselves to it, but with an eye on the future. This is not an end in itself. The more our longing for home will grow. Home is the time of the Mashiach. Home is when the whole world will be at peace. Home will be when everyone will be comfortable. Home will be when everyone will be spiritually elevated, sensitized, and yearn for holy things. Home is when the darkness will finally disappear. And when we do that, the more our longing for home for the time of the Mashiach, the more it intensifies. That's going to make the redemption come sooner. May we devote ourselves to one more mitzvah. May we devote ourselves with joy and confidence to the great mission that the infinite creator has entrusted into our hands and know that one more mitzvah can actually put it over the top. Let's light our candles soon. Women, have your candles lit today by 617, but phone a friend to remind them not only of the time, but also the brocha. And tomorrow night Shabbos goes out at 7.14. A guten Shabbos, a guten Tomid.